So today uh, I have the joy of bringing uh, to a close our teaching series, which we call The King and His Army. We started this back in September. Uh, we've been running, or maybe October, uh, we've been running right through uh, with, a, with a short gap in the middle, about three weeks uh, in November when we did something else. But we have been thinking about this image that we get in, um, in the Bible. There are many images given to the church as to the nature of church, family, um, body, etc. And we've been just focusing in on what it means to be uh, the army of Jesus, and we bring that to a close today. So, so far during that series, just to jog your memories, we've been thinking, we started off looking at the king, who is King Jesus, then we talked about his kingdom, and um, kind of what does it mean to be part of his kingdom, what is the nature of his kingdom, then we talked about what it meant to be an army, we talked about the mission that the army is given, we talked about how we go forward, um, we go forward on our knees, thinking about prayer and the importance of prayer, uh, we talked about marching on our stomachs, the important part that hospitality and sharing food plays um, in the army, we talked about marching on together, what does it mean to stand shoulder to shoulder with one another as we go about this mission that God has for us. Uh, we talked about the, ar- the enemy, sorry, so uh, who is Satan and how, who are we fighting against, what might his tactics be. Uh, and then last week we talked about how to live free from sin that can so easily entangle and take us out of um, the game. I've really enjoyed uh, just being part of this series and listening to the various people who have been speaking. And today uh, we're going to wrap things up by talking about the importance of celebrating victories, uh, which I hope will be uh, an enjoyable and potentially slightly lighter topic than last week um, for those of you who were here. So uh, what I want to do is I want to go through um, some examples in the Old Testament. I want to look at three parables in the New Testament where we have celebration, um, and then I want to think about what that might mean for us today. So we are going to uh, start off in Leviticus uh, 23. Don't often go to Leviticus, do we? Uh, But I love this because uh, the people of God, they are at a really key point in their journey. They have just been rescued out of slavery in Egypt um, by God. He has provided uh, a way out for them. They are under the leadership of Moses. Now Moses uh, is given by God uh, lots and lots of different instructions to pass on to the people. Lots of rules, lots of rituals, etc. But then we come across this in Leviticus chapter 23. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 4. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day, and it must be observed wherever you live. In addition to the Sabbath, these are the Lord's appointed festivals, the official days for holy assembly that are to be celebrated at the proper times each year. Now, I love this about God. God gives them a preset pattern for celebrating as part of their annual calendar. I I just love that about God. In in the midst of all of these instructions about what you should do, what you shouldn't do, how to treat your body, how to treat other people, etc., he he pauses, or he doesn't pause, but he just, in the flow of this, God gives them instructions for how to celebrate in their annual calendar. He gives them a list of holidays. Isn't that cool? Isn't God good? God loves a good holiday, it would appear. And um, and then he lays out for them, just God, these various different... Um, kind of holidays. Now, just before we get to that, I'm not going to read it through in detail because there's a, some of them, there's a lot of detail about you sh- what you should do on these holidays. Um, 
I'm just going to give a kind of flavour. But I, I kind of wonder why. Like, why might God give his people a, a preset pattern for celebrating? Is it maybe because actually, automatically, we're not very good at it? We're not very good at instinctively stopping and celebrating well. We tend to be, come on, let's crack on, let's move on to the next thing. And I wonder if God just says, actually, I want, you to be, I want my people to be different. I want you to pause regularly, to give thanks, to celebrate. And uh, really, I think that's the message of today. If I could sum it up, I could probably sit down now and we could crack on, but I won't. Um, so here we go. So we're going to ro- race through these seven festivals, um, also known as feasts. Um, because they involved a lot of feasting most of the time as well. And, um, and interestingly, I, kind, I think I find very fascinating, I, um, some of you might as well, I think I preached on it once before, but all these seven feasts um, are fulfilled in Jesus. You can run them right through, uh, even in terms of timings and everything. Uh, four of them were fulfilled in his death and resurrection and the starting of the church, and then three are to be fulfilled in Jesus when he returns. You might even spot this as we go through um, this today, but that's a whole other preach for another time. So in springtime, these are the seven feasts God gives his people. In springtime, he start off with Passover. Uh, this is about remembering uh, when God rescues his people from Egypt. You might be familiar with the story um, where the angel of death in Egypt passes over the Israelite houses, God's people's houses. Um, And then closely followed, straight on, uh, is the festival or the feast of unleavened bread, which is really part of the same thing. It's remembering that time where um, they were in such a rush to leave Egypt uh, to head towards the promised land via the wilderness um, that they didn't have time to use yeast in the dough um, of their bread. And so they made uh, bread without yeast, also known as unleavened bread. And these two festivals together are total eight days of celebration in the springtime. And then you get, after the final day of Passover and unleavened bread, you get another feast, which is known as the Festival of the First Fruits. And this is about a celebration of the first fruits of harvest. So together, these come in one clump together, and the three festivals celebrate God's rescue and his provision for his people. Then 50 days later... Uh, you get what is known as the Festival of Pentecost, or the Feast of Pentecost, also known as the Festival of Weeks, because it is a week of weeks later. It is seven weeks, or seven times seven, 49. It's on the 50th day. Uh, They celebrate this after the end of the last festival. And this is about remembering the greatness of God when he gave the law to Moses 50 days after their escape from Egypt. Uh, which is what we find in the Old Testament. And then further on in the year, when we get into autumn, what you then have, the fifth one, is the festival or the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, This is the start of the civil year in the life of the nation, and the celebration is marked by, funnily enough, the blowing of trumpets. And everyone gets a day off, uh, which is great. Uh, And then the Day of Atonement, um, which is nine days later. Uh, and atonement is a big biblical word that really means uh, being made right with God. And nine days later, after the festival of trumpets, sacrifices are offered for the, for the sins of the whole nation. There's lots of ritual involved in the temple, etc. But really, it's about celebrating the forgiveness 
of God, and that's the, the Festival of Atonement. Uh, and then the final one, the seventh one, is, is known as the Festival or the Feast of Tabernacles. And tabernacles in the Old Testament are, are a shelter, a tent-like shelter, that the people lived in, in the wilderness. And this one is eight days long, and God's people are asked to live in a tabernacle, in a tent or a booth um, that they construct to remember their history, to remember that point where they all lived in, wilderness, in the wilderness, living in these tents. It's also an opportunity to celebrate the gathering in of the harvest. So you have this calendar year built into it for the people of God, a way of celebrating and marking the seasons and the faithfulness of God. They come in three different chunks through the year and, uh, and the Jews celebrated these and we, we see in the Gospels that Jesus would have followed this pattern uh, of celebrating these festivals as well. Generally speaking at these feasts there would be, often people would travel into Jerusalem, not everyone obviously, but a lot of people would travel into the capital city to where the temple was um, and they would celebrate together. Um, the, 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 the city population around the time of these three festivals through the year would, would just go huge each time. It would multiply by a huge number. Um, and there would be lots of eating, lots of drinking, sharing food together, and everyone would get the day off. There would be no work done. This is an inbuilt rhythm of celebration that God's people followed. What we also have through the Old Testament uh, is a number of times where you got Im- impromptu celebration or the marking of key significant moments. So in 1 Samuel chapter 7, um, verse 12, uh, this is when Samuel is leading the people. And, um, and really what happens... So we just lost it. 1 chapter 12 is on the next page. Um, oh, verse 12. So Samuel uh, has just led God's people to a mighty victory in battle. And what he does as a way of celebrating... Um, is Samuel took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshana. Uh, he named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. So this is a large stone. This isn't just like grabbing a rock by the side of the road and standing it on its end and saying, oh, thank you, God, remember this. This is a large stone. This would have been a moment to stop, to pause, to get lots of people involved. And this would serve as a monument of celebration of what God has done for years and years to come, whenever anybody walked by that place, they would remember this was a time to celebrate the stone of help. God has helped us up to this point. A little bit later in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, <clears throat> verses 1 to 5, at this point, we have David uh, leading God's people. And I'm just going to pause and cough. Hold on. <coughs> um, so... 2 Samuel 6, uh, 1-5, David has led God's people in victory, uh, in a a battle, and uh, this is what we read. Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Balar of Judah um, to bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Azar and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the Ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the Ark. David and all the people of Israel were doing what? They were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets and cymbals. 
Um, lots of celebration, right? Music. Later on, uh, we read in this same passage that there was shouting and dancing and even gifts given out by the king for everyone in the nation, including bread, dates and raisins. They were having a right royal party. Uh, now, Nicky Gumbel, many of you will be familiar, famous for the Alpha course um, at HTB. I think he's now actually retired and just focusing on um, Alpha. But one of the things he says is that often um, one of the changes, the switches you get from the Old Testament to the New Testament is that something that is a physical reality in the Old Testament ends up becoming a spiritual reality in the New Testament. One of those areas would be around battle. So the people of God in the Old Testament, there was a physical land that God had for them, that they were involved in many battles over. In the New Testament, that's changed. We are not fighting for a physical land anymore, but there is a a spiritual kingdom of God where there is a battle taking place. And so that kind of celebrating these battles kind of gets changed across, switched across in the New Testament to celebrating any victory in the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to look at Luke chapter 15, where we get three parables in a row, where something or somebody loses something and then finds that something. And I want you to see what becomes pretty obvious is the kind of conclusion of each of these stories. So I'm not going to read, uh, we would have to read the whole of chapter 15 to get these full stories in. You can read them in your own time. I'm just going to summarize them and then read the final section of each story. So in the first section, this is about a lost sheep. So you have, so you have a shepherd who loses, he has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost. And what he does is he leaves the 99 others um, safely and he goes out and searches for the one that is lost until he finds it. And then we read in verse 5, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. The natural conclusion at the end of this story is a celebration. There is a victory celebration when somebody, in this story, the parable, it's a sheep, but when a person goes from lost to found, there is a celebration. The shepherd gathers his friends and his neighbours and says, rejoice with me. We are going to celebrate this moment together. (laughs) The second story is about a woman who has 10 silver coins and she loses one. What she does is she lights a lamp, she searches the whole house until she finds it, and then we read in verse 9, and when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbours and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. It's the same story, again, just told another way, isn't it? How does it conclude? With a celebration. Friends and neighbours, come and join me. Rejoice with me. Because this coin used to be lost and now it is found. The final, the third story in this section of parables is about the lost son. And what you have is a father whose son comes to him and says, I want some of my inheritance now. Uh, He goes away, he spends it all on all kinds of different things, wild living. The New uh, Living Translation describes that as uh, money runs out, he comes back to his father. And uh, what we read 
when he has been reunited with his father. Uh, he doesn't think he is worthy of any kind of celebration at all. But in verse 22, it says, But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must do what? We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Last little bit, which I love. So the party began. Isn't it great? We have a God who likes parties, right? Have you ever thought about that? You know, some people think God is really serious and somber all the time. God loves a good party. Like Jesus spent a lot of his time going to people's houses and eating and drinking. We have a God who loves a party. And the way he describes it, when people move from being lost to being found, when, when a great victory is won in the kingdom of heaven, the natural response is to celebrate. That is something we want to do when it comes to God's kingdom. When lost becomes found, when broken becomes healed, when dark becomes light, we want to celebrate in Jesus' kingdom. I want to suggest that actually in a good redemption story, the story is not resolved or finished until it's been celebrated. I want to suggest that that might be true. I want Joe to come up and demonstrate this musically, if this is okay. So it's a bit like this, okay? If there is no celebration at the end of a story, a good redemption story, it's a bit like this. something missing at the end of that song isn't there it needs to be resolved doesn't it we know that tune we know it needs to be resolved with the right chords yeah and I want to suggest that in a good redemption story not celebrating that victory at the end is like leaving a song like that instead of So, I love a good celebration. We do some good celebrating around here, but I do think maybe we could do more. So, what I love, uh, the, the times we celebrate here in particular, I love a good baptism, right? You probably are the same. We love celebrating people's redemption stories. Before they get baptized, anybody who does that, we ask them to share how did they move from darkness to light? How did they come to know Jesus? And we we celebrate that, don't we? We love that. I think the last time, I think it was Michaela got baptised, there was like a full standing ovation in the room after hearing her story because we love celebrating that when somebody is at that moment of getting baptised. On a monthly basis, we make room in our Sunday services to celebrate communion together, to mark and to be thankful and to praise God for the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Every time somebody goes debt-free through our work with CAP, and we get Jackie up the front, we hear their story and how they've become debt-free, and then we bang a gong and we celebrate. Because we want to resolve these stories. I honestly believe a redemption story is not complete until we have 
celebrated it. So we do some of these things, but I actually think, I, I do wonder if maybe we could do a bit more. I wonder if we could be, you know, kind of just impromptu celebrations. Often our, our instinct is to kind of, we do something and then we move on and, and we just crack on with the next thing without stopping to celebrate. Often, one of the challenges we have is that we, we do things, we have initiatives, we invite people to participate in things, and then we say, oh, we'd love to have some stories and some testimonies to celebrate this. And, and actually, people are kind of reluctant to do so. I often think people maybe think, look, I, you know, I, I'm not going to stand up and share because it might feel like I'm blowing my own trumpet if I were to get up and share a testimony about how God did this thing in me or through me. Actually, I want to reframe that, okay? I want us to stop worrying that, oh, maybe, maybe I might look a bit too good and then, you know, it's, is it about me rather than God? I want us to abandon that kind of thinking and instead, I want us to think, you know what? I'm not going to rob people. I'm not going to rob this church of the joy of celebrating something that God has done either in or through me. I, I, I would love us to think in those terms. You know what? God has done something. I want to bring an ending to this story by celebrating it. I want to resolve this story by celebrating it. And I don't want to rob my brothers and sisters, my church family, by not celebrating that and just kind of keeping it to myself. Can you imagine the ending of these parables? Uh, So the shepherd, without a celebration, so the shepherd leaves the 99 safely at home, goes and finds the, the one sheep but didn't celebrate, didn't call up any friends or neighbours because actually he was a British shepherd. (laughs) Wasn't really his thing. Didn't do the celebrating. And actually, it might put a spotlight on his own sheep searching abilities. And we wouldn't want to do that, would we? The story would not be celebrated or resolved. Or imagine if the woman has lost her coin. She finds it. And so she, at the end, she just slips it quietly into her purse. And she doesn't tell anyone because actually she's a really shy person and it wouldn't be in her nature. Or actually, finding that coin wasn't that big of a deal anyway, was it? Or imagine if the father, at the end of the lost son story, he welcomes his son home and then he just sets him to work because there's a lot of farming to be done still and we can't bother with any of this time celebrating. And anyway, think about the other parents who've got lost sons who haven't come home. How might they feel if we have a celebration here? It's not what's in the Bible, is it? These stories, each of them, are celebrated well. Now, if we are an army, if we are the army of God, as God's people, one of the realities is that that morale in an army is a really important thing. You need to keep the morale of an army high. And I believe that celebrating any and every victory, no matter how small, every victory along the way, celebrating that keeps morale Hi, I'm encouraged when you tell stories about what is God is doing in your life. Is that true for you as well? Are you encouraged when you hear other people's stories where God is at work and where he is doing something? We're all inspired alongside that. We're all inspired to step out in faith when you tell us your story of how you have stepped out in faith. This is not some kind of like blow my own trumpet celebration here. This is giving glory and honour to God and it has an impact on the rest of us as God's army. When this, is, this is particularly when the cost is high, when people are giving of themselves a lot. If people are sacrificing, laying down their lives, they're asking questions. We need to know, is, is it worth it? 
And, and is it working? Is, is what we're doing here, is the, the giving of whatever it might be, money, time, energy, into God's kingdom, is it worth it? Is it working? <laughs> Telling stories of what God is doing helps answer that question with a resounding yes. It's worth it. We see the fruit of what God is doing and it is worth it. Testimonies and stories answer that question with a resounding yes. So it's another reason for us to celebrate it. Now listen, I'm coming into land with this really, but in in this battle, we are in a real battle. Uh, We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. Jenny uh, picked that up and I continued that theme last week. And we know that this battle isn't against other people, but it's for other people. Now Jesus won a decisive victory on that cross and in that tomb. And every victory we see, every small victory, every big victory, every redemption story, good thing that happens in God's kingdom, is a, it's like an echo of that first, that initial decisive victory that Jesus won on the cross and in that tomb. So every time somebody goes debt free, it's like an echo of that initial victory coming to reality in the life of someone else. When somebody moves from being lost to found, when somebody is healed, when there's a redemption or restoration story, when somebody conquers a sin and says, I have been free for this for so long a period of time, it's a small victory that's an echo of the big victory. And one day, Jesus is going to wrap up this version of the world and he's going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. And guess what one of the first things we do together is? We have a celebration. We have a meal together, the marriage feast at the end of the age when Christ and his church are united. And the picture given in Revelation is of of like a marriage feast after a couple have been married. There will be what? One giant party, one big celebration. And so I want to suggest today, my main message is that that God is so pro-celebrating. He is so for us celebrating and marking every and every small victory. And so one day where we're headed is one big giant victory celebration in the new heavens and the new earth. But in the meantime, let's be a church who celebrate any and every victory, who cheer each other on with stories and testimonies of what God has done or what God is doing. Today, even in our time left, we're going to be worshipping God uh, together in song um, in a moment. Let's hear some stories. What's God up to at the moment? What have you seen God do this year? Where have we seen God at work? You might think, oh, it's not big enough to share. It's not. It, it really is. It will encourage and strengthen us as a church. This Christmas, I want to encourage us to celebrate, you know, free reign to celebrate Christmas well, right? Christmas doesn't have to be anything else. It's a huge celebration of Jesus, a God who comes to earth in human form. We've got opportunities to do that in the coming days ahead. On Christmas Eve, we're going to be celebrating the God who is with us, Emmanuel. On Christmas Day, we're going all out and we're throwing Jesus his 2022nd birthday party here. Uh, Don't miss out on that as well. And there's one specific thing I just want to uh, tell you about, really. Uh, musicians, why don't you come up? We're going to uh, sing and celebrate uh, together in a moment. But one specific thing, I, I, we're inviting the whole church to celebrate in January. Uh, January can be a really cold, depressing month. If you've been listening to the news 
uh, this December, you're probably already pretty depressed and down. Just wait till you throw January in the mix. And um, we're probably all going to be struggling, I think, next month. But it can, and it is known as, as being quite a cold, depressing month. But I, I want us to celebrate. I want us to start the year in celebration. And we're going to celebrate one uh, thing that is true about us as a church that I think is truly beautiful and worthy of celebration. And that is that we are a massively intergenerational church. Just look round the room. Every generation is represented in our church. It's one of the things I love about being part of this church. Um, it's one of the reasons some people choose to become part of this church. They tell us on the way in, that's the thing I loved. It's got a family feel. There's people right through from young through to old. And, um, and so we love that and we want to celebrate that well uh, by doing something on Sunday the 29th of January, uh, which is to share intergenerational meals in homes. Uh, so we would love you to consider hosting, maybe particularly if you're a family, just because if you descend on someone else's house as a family, it can suddenly overwhelm. Um, so maybe families in particular, you might want to consider this. Hosting a lunch in your home after the service on Sunday the 29th of January. And uh, it's, it's part of a wider initiative called the Big Scrumptious Faith-Filled Feast, which I think is probably one of the best titles of an event ever. <laughs> Um, what happens is we will be, we've got uh, loads of these which function as a placemat and uh, we've ordered a whole load of them and we're going to give them out to everybody who hosts an intergenerational gathering in your home and uh, you can use this as a placemat and it's got activities for children to do but it's also got some really good questions about how we celebrate the fact that we are all different ages and lots of opportunities to, stay, uh, to share stories, etc. Um, it should be really, really good. We're, we're really hopeful. So if you want to consider doing that, I just think it's a way of celebrating something that God has, has brought about in our church, which is that we are a church of multiple generations. And so we want to uh, celebrate that well on the 29th. So if you want to host, we're not going to put any central organisation around this. We'll just keep reminding you nearer the time. You just organise it. Organise to get some food in. Uh, invite some other people from different generations within the church. Uh, get yourself a whole load of these. We'll provide these for you. And then celebrate together the fact that church is awesome. Okay? Does that sound good? Uh, so we're going to... Um, we're going to continue to worship now. We're going to celebrate Jesus and I would love us to have some stories um, of just kind of encouraging one another with what God is doing. Shall we stand together and I'll just pray. God, I love the fact that you love parties. I love it. I love that you are a God who celebrates well. You're not a God who's too quick to move on to the next thing. You have a party in heaven there is a celebration amongst the angels every time somebody turns to you and uh, we love that about you and we want to be a church who reflects and captures the entirety of your nature and who you are not just certain things so we want to be a god who reflects your heart for celebration your heart for marking key moments well who build a, a rhythm of celebration into our annual calendar. So God, help us to do that well. Help us to celebrate you and all you're doing amongst us in our church, in our lives, in our community, in our world. Pray that as we move into a time of worship now, you would encourage us with stories and testimonies of you at work, that we might join together in celebrating one another's victories and celebrating your victories, God and help us to build a culture in this church where we, as your army, know the importance of celebrating victories 
and we do so with great gusto and great passion. Amen.